Welcome to Post Viral. As always, this is a reminder that these are the individual opinions of Stuart Bryan and Lindsay Vine. Please consult your healthcare professional for individualized advice. Enjoy the show. Hello. Hi, everybody. Hi. Welcome to Post Viral. It's that time again. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, what have we done recently, Lindsay? We did a pretty cool milestone. We did. We climbed a Mayan temple, which was something I've been visualizing. You've been visualizing, too. It felt really, really, really cool. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. And it it was a long day. It was about 10 hours, I think. We went swimming in some cenotes as well, natural pools that you can swim in it's so nice yeah they're so cool they were all formed from the meteor that killed the dinosaurs 65 million years ago yeah crazy mine's only source of water so definitely felt it the next few days not gonna (laughs) yeah yeah it wasn't just like oh we feel perfect it was yeah a lot of stairs took a lot out of me yeah both of us (laughs) so cool though yeah yeah and i've ironically been dealing with some like stomach issues yeah oh yeah yeah, Lindsay's currently on a diet of rice and white fish. <laughs> oh my god, it's just so funny. We released this like nutrition episode and then I get the old traveler's diarrhea. <laughs> Hopefully it is short-lived, but oh, I feel for you. Yeah, you know, these things happen. That's what you risk when you travel. Yeah, no, I feel for you. I feel for you. We had a couple of listener questions, didn't we, Lindsay? We did, yeah. We love to get feedback and questions. Yeah. So Ema got in touch to say, I would love to know if you have any techniques to help overcome fear of crashes or fear of overdoing it energy-wise. So we feel you on that one. I think a lot of us go through this almost on a daily basis at times. Constantly, especially since I've gotten so much better before and then crashed again. It's still on my mind all the time. We're going to talk about this a lot more in one of the upcoming episodes, which is going to be about brain retraining and self-love. And I think that'll probably be where we really get into the fear part and how we can like try and train our brain as much as possible away from the fear. So watch this space, Ema, but very good question. Yeah, for sure. We get it. Yeah. So then Louis asks, after our pacing episode... He asked, how would you recommend staying in shape for someone with chronic fatigue? Yeah. And I think there's two elements of this for me. The one is the movement side of things. So how do you keep, you know, moving, exercise, and I think appropriate movement. So whatever feels appropriate for you where you're at. So I know I talked about, I tried to push it a bit far with stretching and I really scaled it back to, okay, let's just start with 10 seconds stretching and then build one second one second one second which is frustrating especially if the old you would do squats and deadlifts and you know be in the gym all the time but I think being appropriate with your movement alongside your overall pacing that's probably the the best way there's a suggestion from Sarah Myhill that says that what you're really trying to do with chronic fatigue is build the number of mitochondria in your body and strength training is a much more efficient way of doing that she actually suggests when you get to a place of being symptom free just doing like 60 second burst of push-ups sit-ups once a week so it's very intense but very short and then you kind of build from there but it's just once a week to be honest I haven't got to that stage so I can't swear by that 
Yeah, it gets confusing of when to do that. I mean, the fact that we're doing all those stairs the other day is strength training in itself. So sometimes yeah. you're doing it without realizing it. I think if you start, once you start carrying your groceries more or doing those little things, you're building your strengths mm. in ways you, so you don't realize. Yeah, we're carrying a lot of water bottles here, which um, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely strength. And then the other side to this question I was thinking is body image, where... I really get the you see a photograph of yourself and you think oh my goodness do I actually look like that now that is not the image I have of myself from a couple of years ago or the image you have of yourself in your mind and I think it's a very very real challenging part of chronic fatigue that body image whether you're gaining lots of weight unexpectedly losing lots of weight not the weight that you might ideally want to be I think there's no easy solution to this and it's kind of an ongoing process louise hay talks about saying i love you to yourself in the mirror 400 times a day wow that's a lot <laughs> it's about understanding where your worth comes from your value and then over time i suppose what you attach value to maybe changes yeah acceptance and then also what we'll talk about more about self-love yeah but understand where you're coming from there louis as well Great. So what are we talking about today, Lindsay? We're talking about personality types. Personality types, right. <laughs> Bit of a curveball. Definitely not the same as what we've been talking about before. Yeah. Changing gear. Yeah, it's a different gear. Alex Howard says there's three aspects to people who get chronic fatigue, right? Yeah. And it was load, like nutrition and rest and sleep and mold and toxins and such. The load your body is bearing yeah. yeah yeah and how it all adds up and then he said there's also personality type plays a factor and then he said the third is genetics yeah and they all build up to have an impact on your bodily systems but it, it's interesting isn't it because it's not just alex howard gabor mate dr sarno as well emily and amelia nagowski yeah bessel van kolk a lot of big names in the chronic fatigue space talk about personality type being a big factor in the types of people that tend to get a chronic illness at some point in their life. I had no concept of this, but after reading some of these books, like Gabor Mate's book, When the Body Says No, and Dr. Sarno's book, The Mind-Body Prescription, mm. It's very convincing stuff. Yeah. I mean, obviously, mm. everything we're going to talk about today is not going to be applicable to everyone. So no. you might see yourself in some of the factors we talk about or some of the personality types, but not in others. Stu and I do not have the same personality type. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> the personality types that we're going to talk about today, the way we've categorized them anyways, are in uh, People Pleaser. Yep. People that put others' needs above their own? Yeah, needs and wants and, and all kinds of things above their own. Sure. Yeah, yeah. The second one, which is that they are repressed. Expressing emotions can either be difficult or yeah. we've learned in some way that our emotions are dangerous. It's better to act a certain way than to face up to what you're feeling. Yeah. 
I think both both the personality type and this one, it's a bunch of should of how you should be acting. Yeah. This one's kind of like how you should be feeling, mm-hmm. feeling the way you should. And then the last one is harsh inner critic. Yeah, that voice inside driving you, making you a perfectionist, an achiever, imposter syndrome as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to dive into it. Hopefully you're as excited as we are. Nervous. <laughs> <laughs> excited, but also we don't want anybody to feel like triggered. If you've never conceptualized this as being part of your illness before, and we start to bring up some old memories, bringing up emotions, obviously we always recommend talking to a therapist or talking with loved ones about your feelings. Mm. You know, maybe this isn't the right time for you to listen to this if you're feeling overwhelmed, but... yeah could be helpful for others yeah that's a good good thing to say and i think as well with that is that this isn't about blame so it's not saying you made yourself ill because you're a people pleaser or have a harsh inner critic it's more just interesting and also to bring some awareness to parts of these tendencies you may have and then hopefully start to heal from that place of awareness. I think awareness and self-awareness is always a good place to start with healing. Totally. You have to know you have problems before you can fix your problems. So yeah, you know, I know it sounds a bit weird to be talking about personality types for something that we absolutely believe is a physical illness, Mm -hmm. but there's such a strong mind-body connection, particularly with our illness, that the way we act, the way we hold emotions, the way we hold our feelings, the way we overrun our bodies has to do with our mind Mm. as well as our bodies. Yeah, I think it's Gabble Martyr that says, to heal, you have to look ahead visualize how do you get to where you want to go but actually you need to look back to understand how you came to be where you are and this is almost the looking back to help you shape well how does recovery look like and also if you're sat there thinking oh don't tell me how I am you don't know me then um, that's kind of good too because Lindsay and I are quite different when it comes to this as well Lindsay's a lot more like oh brilliant help me understand myself and I'm like you don't know me (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's funny the different reaction right I'll take any personality test I come across I love them the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs I love those things I'm like ooh, cool I'm in this box yeah I guess it's like I I want to be known I don't know Yeah, yeah yeah no you're not alone as well whereas I'm like don't put me in that box (laughs) yeah no it's not all like you're this one thing but there are some common tendencies it Mm. seems with people who get chronic illness in general interesting one today for the animal fact how are we going to bring personality type into animal over to you Lindsay? Oh my gosh, this is the most interesting animal. (laughs) (laughs) Lindsay's been teeing me up for this. I don't know any of these facts. I know, it's so so hard not (laughs) to tell him about the octopus. I know there's a documentary on um, Netflix about the octopus that, because I can't watch movies and stuff really because screens are hard for me. I haven't been able to see, but I've seen clips of it. So I know Mm -hmm. the general gist and... Ooh, they're so interesting. So first of all, they're a very misunderstood animal, which I think a lot of us can relate to (laughs) being misunderstood with our illness. 
Often in movies portrayed kind of as evil, like you think of Ursula or Doc Ock from uh, Spider-Man or something, the creature from the deep idea, but actually they're so smart. Nine brains. (laughs) Nine (laughs) brains. One in each of those tentacles and a main, main brain as well. And three hearts as well, which is so cool. They've been found solving puzzles, using tools, navigating mazes, taking things apart, remembering solutions to problems. They're incredibly smart creatures. And they've been around since way longer than the turtle I talked about. More like 300 million years, this guy. Wow. Think of a lot of sea creatures as being kind of mindless, but oh no. Another thing about them is the putting themselves after others or not putting themselves first, which can be an issue with some of us, Mm. the people pleasingness of it all. The mothers sit on their eggs for about a year and a half they found in that documentary um, without eating at all. They just slowly decay away and as they're dying, sitting on, and then all these crabs come and try to fight them. and, And then finally when the babies are born, they just die. And it's like all that. (laughs) Ultimate sacrifice. Yeah. And the males, they literally hand the female their sperm, which she always takes with her right tentacle for some reason. And then he just wanders off and dies. So it's very much their purpose is to help others, which is their next generation. Maybe some of the mothers out there are feeling (laughs) (laughs) feeling that. Yeah, what else? They're boneless, so they don't have any bones. Uh, So they're very flexible, (laughs) and they don't have any rigid boundaries in that way. Got that kind of analogy I'm making there? Mm -hmm. Makes sense. They're shapeshifters in that they can fit in and out of small spaces, kind of like how people, well, like myself, are always quick to change your personality based on who you're with Yeah. um, in that people-pleasing mode. They change their color, they can change their texture even, which is so cool. Oh, wow. Why do they do that? Well, it's all to do with their nervous system, interestingly. So within their cells, they have these like sacks of color. And once their nervous system, like a fear response is activated, they can change color and somehow texture as well. They disguise themselves, camouflage as different things. So they pretend to be like crabs or other creatures, or they'll just stick one tentacle out and pretend to be a snake. (laughs) Nice. So interesting. I'm getting a lot of metaphors here, yeah. You got (laughs) it, you got it. Yeah, the more you listen, you can kind of feel the personality types. But they're also very sensitive creatures like us. Their brains are in their arms and legs, and they have three hearts. Their legs and arms can function without their main brain. So, like, if you were to cut off one of their arms and then you stabbed it, it still would curl up and react. So just the, like, mind-body connection there that's so strong, and I think we need to foster that's more of a strength. Two-thirds of their neurons are in their tentacles. If, what if we thought about our brain being our whole body? Yeah, learn to listen, learn to tune in, yeah, to each part of our body. Yeah, yeah, and they have blue blood, which is really interesting. <laughs> oh, they're also very sensitive to the change in the water's pH level. 
with climate change, this is becoming like a huge problem. So I was thinking about how people like us who have very sensitive nervous systems are very sensitive to our environments and like changes sometimes in weather. But they also dream. They found out that they dream because they do those color changes while they're sleeping. Oh, that's really nice. See why you love them so much. (laughs) Oh, there's just like a million interesting facts about them. So hopefully I I bred some love for the octopus and you can see some personality type similarities. I have a much better picture of the octopus now. Nice one. (laughs) Very much focused on others, Mm. which can be to their detriment (laughs) in the end. So diving in with people pleasers. People pleasers. (laughs) Alex Howard shared quite a clever people pleaser quiz. Listen along and nod or shake your head vehemently. (laughs) So the first one, you outwardly agree with others, but then disagree inwardly. Yep, it happens all the time. So British. And Canadian. And Canadian, okay. Take the blame when it's not your fault. Yeah. (laughs) Find it hard to say no, even when you don't want to do something. Yeah. Feel responsible for how others feel. Yes. Put others' people's wants and needs above your own. I think that's kind of self-explanatory. Spend a lot of time thinking about what others think about you. Yes, for me. Yeah, I'm less on that one, but yeah. So much for me. (laughs) And then the last one, your self-worth is dependent on other people's validation. I think that's a very human trait in general, to be honest. A lot of these are just very human. Yeah. But I mean, we should say as well that there are a lot of good qualities to being someone that cares a lot about other people's needs and wants and values. So Absolutely. In all these categories, we're going to also reflect on the good. I think both of us are just like so concerned about other people's well-being and tend to be quite helpful, quite caring, to be honest, quite well liked because you are empathetic and you care about other people, what they need. Yeah. And if you mold your personality a little bit, depending on who you're with, Mm. obviously they're going to like you more (laughs) for that. Yeah. (laughs) But you could say emotionally aware. (laughs) Emotionally aware. Yeah. Like people like that I'm very smiley and attentive and those kinds of things that come with people pleasing. On this trip already, so many times where we're like, oh, we just need to lie down, but just nodding along to strangers. And (laughs) we were in a store for an hour with this man who was incredibly sweet, but it's just like, okay, enough. (laughs) And there's definitely also, we should say, there's like nothing wrong with wanting to help others. And we're not demonizing supporting other people. It's a lovely way to live obviously we have a podcast trying to help (laughs) (laughs) but um for me when i think about it it kind of comes down to motivation yeah because you can either be doing it out of a sense of i really want to help Lindsay right now or i feel like i should it's the social expectation definitely growing up in a church environment almost like want to be well liked and want to be perceived in a certain way and like put others above myself but while also harboring quite a lot of like judgment, pride, thinking I was kind of better for that and better than other people and not necessarily doing it out of a place of love. It was more out of a place of social expectation and duty, which right. I don't think was particularly healthy. But it is funny that like I was always so proud of how easygoing I am. I was in that crazy situation living with a family in Mexico and 
I was just always bragging to people. Oh, I, they pick me because I'm easygoing. I'm easygoing. And right. it got to the point where I was dreadfully unhappy. I finally had to be like, wait, maybe it's not so great to be easygoing all the time. <laughs> to actually know what you stand for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've had that with bosses all through my 20s that just love me because mm. I'm easygoing and I understand them. I seem to always have weird bosses that most people can't handle but me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I can think of a lot of times at work where even when I was ill, actually, and there was like a opportunity, because it's always an opportunity that they were looking for someone to kind of take on beyond their normal responsibilities. And I was feeling so gross. But I was like, well, other people have families while they're remote working in the pandemic. I should probably step up and take this. So I did and then killed myself for the next few weeks to <laughs> just because I'd rather that than saying no or even just keeping quiet. So, yeah, I feel you. But yeah, something Gabor Marte says is that all of us deny parts of ourselves every day. But if we say yes to the world for long enough, the body may say no. Yeah. And I thought about this really hard when we were thinking about whether to do a podcast or not, whether this was a good idea. And I think a lot of us with chronic illnesses end up going into helping fields or come from helping fields. And yeah, just have to make sure what we're motivated by and also that we're taking care of ourselves. Yeah, yeah, that's a big one. Dr. Sarno talks about goodism because a lot of attention around personality types and chronic illness sometimes is around perfectionists. And for me, that never really fit because I'm not really a perfectionist. But goodism, he talks about, is another thing that's very common, which is essentially he's talking about a deep feeling that you should be helping other people. Mm. And I think ever since I started volunteering in high school, and then I, I've continually volunteered on the side since then, because I was like, oh, if people have the time, they should be, I'm yeah. quote unquoting, volunteering, right? Why wouldn't you? And when I was doing archaeology in undergrad, I remember like, viscerally being like who am i helping right now which isn't really fair archaeologists definitely do help people but i didn't feel like i was helping people and thus i felt like i was being a bad person which i put on myself a lot of people get from a bunch of other places no i see that too in this in the job i landed in I always felt an almost sense of embarrassment that I was working in financial services, that I almost had to justify what I was doing with something else because, as you say, it didn't live up to the ideal of helping others, of goodism, of adding what I would deem value into the world. And it's only really in the past couple of years that I've confronted that and tried to unpack it and think, well, actually, there is a lot of value there and it's just what we ascribe value to. Yeah, it's a really common one, it sounds like, for people who get chronic illnesses. Another way it's being described, and it's a little bit different, I guess, is what Emily and Amelia Nagoski talk about in their book, Burnout, is the human giver syndrome. Oh, yeah, I love this. I think this is so good if we're getting into the more socio-political analysis. <laughs> yeah, so human givers, women are expected to offer their time, their attention, their affection, their bodies placidly. They feel an obligation to give their humanity to other human beings is, is the way they talk about it. Right. Human beings being men. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. and others and their children. And sure. yeah, I think yeah. it's also the ideal mother, quote unquote, mm. is really held up in society as being like the ultimate giver. Which is really interesting when you think about the rates of 
MECFS, I don't know the exact stat, I think it's somewhere around like 75-80% are women, but if you do buy into this personality trait, it's interesting, yeah, the way society is geared expecting women to be human givers and ultimate people pleasers, goodists, to then see that play out as the stats. I mean, even we see the stats of who listens to this podcast and it's three quarters women versus 25% men. So yeah, interesting. I mean, I think that men can also be human givers for sure. And then there's also the expectations on minorities, maybe that are being lost there or not talked about as much as they could be. But a lot of their book is concentrated on the patriarchy. And every time they use the word patriarchy, they go, (laughs) if you listen to the audio book. So it's like a very sociopolitical book. And it, it, it makes me think a lot about too, when you have CFS, women not being believed by doctors often is a big thing. And also that's for minorities, a lot of African-American women um, are found to be believed less when they have pain and issues like that. So there are statistical truths to all of these things. You know, men face different pressures, which we're going to talk about in our next uh, segment in terms of what they should be Mm. feeling and how they should be acting. But um, it is really interesting to think of it from a societal point of view. Yeah, yeah. Gabor as well, he has some unconscious beliefs which can lead to chronic stress in the body. And so for this personality type, people pleasers, the two viscerally held beliefs that he calls out are one, I have to be strong. And two, I'm responsible for the world. In the midst of everything going on, I have to be that person that everyone else relies on. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah. Definitely. And that's what our follow-up to this category, our follow-up episode is going to be about boundaries boundaries, (laughs) and values. So in our follow-up episode, it will be about how to manage this, these tendencies, at least the negative parts of these tendencies. Yeah, yeah. Today's about awareness and we'll talk more about techniques and tools. second personality type is repressed all-encompassing for the idea of people who don't express their feelings or don't know how to express their feelings or aren't feeling their feelings because they feel quite frozen which i feel like i relate to a lot in confrontation i just freeze some people are more the fight response some people have the flight more and Mm. i'm definitely the freezer and even before I got sick, I remember talking with my boss of like, how do you get good with confrontation? Because I'm just so bad at it. And I think a part of that is that I'm afraid of anger. I'm afraid of my own anger too. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Anger. Yeah, (laughs) anger is interestingly a useful emotion. Yeah, we so rarely see it acted in a positive way culturally so it will be an explosion which is violence towards someone else or yourself an explosion of emotion which doesn't necessarily have to be what anger is because i think anger can be a a very healthy emotion as well totally yeah that's what i was thinking about this category at first i was like okay is it that i'm an overthinker and underfeeler and when i thought about that i'm like that's not quite accurate because i feel a lot like worry Mm -hmm. guilt shame 
anxiety, which are not necessarily the useful emotions. Deeper emotions are sadness, anger, joy. Like those are the emotions at the core. Mm. And those are the ones I like avoid, you know, and I use worry and guilt and shame almost as a cover a coping mechanism yeah yeah how i knew how to deal with the world was using those whereas if you actually just feel your feelings then they pass yeah um, instead of getting stored in your body yeah i mean this is the big theory from dr sano where he's saying that the brain will create physical symptoms as a way to distract from feeling uncomfortable emotions which I remember when I first heard that, I was just like, so my physical pain is supposedly hiding some repressed emotion and just being like, what? (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of evidence for it. He's helped a lot of people and he's got some techniques we're going to talk about in future episodes to kind of get under the skin of, of those repressed emotions and what's going on in the unconscious brain. And so, yeah, I mean in terms of how the body works in the mind-body connection, I do think there's some truth in that. And I know that sometimes my physical symptoms can be exacerbated by my state of mind. And if I am kind of repressing something and not allow myself just to deal with that or feel it, it can manifest. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even have any idea I had anxiety. I I always thought I was the chillest cocoa bean around. Mm. Even though during my master's, I was literally waking up in panic attacks. It was just like, keep going, keep going, keep going. Mm. And I think that's partially a societal thing too, is Mm. that we're not taught how to balance, I think. And also how to self-reflect on our feelings, I think. Oh, absolutely. I can't remember a lesson at school around emotional awareness and like what are healthy emotions and healthy ways to deal with or process emotions, boundaries, you know, all of these things, which I think would be so helpful for children and for me growing up. It's later in life, unfortunately, because of this illness that I've started to realize, oh, yeah, my anxiety suddenly came out and sprang out at a time. And it it was so long trying to like just dampen the those symptoms of anxiety as opposed to trying to face up and say well this is a symptom what's the root cause here because you know as you were saying repressed then being a a gay guy growing up in the school I was in an all-boys school and in a church setting as well when you say repressed it just makes me think back to those years before I came out to my family and friends it's a miserable way to live and you came out at like what time in your life uh, so to some of my friends in my teens and then to my family early 20s and then kind of more publicly I guess mid early 20s yeah after I told the people important to me it's a long time uh, to like hold things in yeah especially during your formative years and if you don't have the tools to process emotions of shame of guilt it feels really isolating then I think that's where this Sano theory really like comes to life for me because I can really see that repressing those emotions and feelings can lead to something pretty horrific for your body if you do it for long enough yeah and and so like all that time you're probably thinking i should be like this oh yeah Yeah, should be a lot of shoulding right and for me that shoulding was like because i was quite chubby when i was young Mm. and like I, i should be eating less i should be doing this i should be looking like this right so yeah a lot of us can have 
childhoods riddled with shoulds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's school isn't necessarily the most encouraging place like when you're surrounded by teenagers so (laughs) that can be tough if you don't have that right support community and the tools at home or I don't know one of your communities yeah we'll we'll talk more about those factors in the future and Alex Howard does say some of the ways we deal with these emotions that we're repressing instead we distract ourselves is a huge one oh yeah most of us can relate to that have found that it's so much easier just to turn on the TV Mm. than to think about our problems. And that was always huge for me when I start to get upset straight to distracting myself. State changes, drinking alcohol or binge eating and stuff, which was, I guess, more of my issue. There was Mm -hmm. some alcohol in the 20s for sure. And then another one is focusing on other people's problems instead of your own, which I highly relate to as well. And keeping busy. I think that's a big one for me. It's just distraction. So it's, yeah, keep busy, keep busy, keep busy. And then eventually, sadly, it might catch up with you. (laughs) I mean, we didn't say, but there are positives to being, I mean, repressed is such a horrible word, but I find in myself, it's the fact I'm a safe pair of hands, undramatic, means that I'm someone people can trust and turn to that's level-headed that I'm not gonna you give off calm vibes and trusting vibes yeah Yeah. Yeah. because they know you're not going to have any strong reactions yeah I feel that too it comes with positives socially yeah and we've learned some positive social behaviors through this repression yeah yeah I feel like people respect people who are like this quite a lot because as you say they're calm they're cool they get things done definitely and I did want to bring up men again in this because societally men are told tough it out and Mm. the providers are often thought of and not encouraged to show their emotions things are getting better I think societally Mm. in accepting men's emotions Mm. but I think there can be a lot of pressure to not be emotional And also with women, I think that's true. It's frustrating with our illness because it used to be called, you know, women were hysterical. And there's all these ideas of these women, oh, they're just crazy, quote unquote, and all this stuff. So even when I talk to doctors, I notice myself, I always mention my master's degree in public health because I want them to respect me. kind of traditionally like men are respected by doctors I want them to respect me too and see that I'm not just some silly girl quote-unquote and that sucks yeah so yeah we're going to talk about emotional awareness and some helpful questions we found to like understand what's really going on in your body and your feelings in future episodes yeah and how to process it So on to the final section, inner critics. Yeah, the harsh inner critics. Harsh inner critics, yeah. This manifests in different ways, but for me, the achiever, the perfectionist from this podcast, Lindsay can probably, (laughs) I'm a bit of a control freak. Interesting, because I mean, the student is amazing. He does all the editing of this podcast. We should all be out there clapping for him. But I think he likes it too. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I find it very hard to release control, to delegate a big area I think I need to, to work on. Yeah, but I have on. the opposite problem. My, my brain goes straight to, I'm sure you do better, better than I could. So yeah. I'm like glad you'll do it because I don't want to risk failure, you know? Mm. So that's, that's definitely 
can be the other side of the coin some of us yeah it's interesting this one because it comes out in different ways so for me it's definitely the competitive element I think as a child I didn't actually like love learning that much but I really valued being the best at my class or winning certain competitions feeling value from contribution and from success quote-unquote whatever that looks like means that I have at times treated my body as a tool as opposed to what it is which is my body (laughs) right right but maybe I don't know you tell me maybe you have a little less of what I have which is an extreme imposter syndrome when I'm in these kind of situations where like I'm given a good job or even the fact that my friends especially from high school are extremely high achievers this all's always pushed me so hard to be like i should i should be doing this i should be doing it even like a master's even going to university i don't think it was necessarily my idea but all my friends were doing it so (laughs) that's what i should be doing right and a lot of my life i think was well just surrounded by the feeling that i'm not good enough and i need to be keeping up with others Mm. instead of looking for what I feel passionate about and believing in myself in that way. Yeah, I think that feeling of not being enough is actually the core behind both. So the imposter syndrome versus the achiever, perfectionist, control freak. I think they both come from that place of I am not enough. Where does my value come from? My value doesn't necessarily come from me as I am it comes from what I do what I achieve but one seems like it's comparing more externally where I I'm like oh I all my friends are yeah that's true doing masters and stuff so I should be where you as a perfectionist where would you say that comes from I mean I think it is comparison in terms of I need to be ahead of the pack and then the inner critic is that inner voice for both of us it's the voice inside saying do more do more do more yeah, interesting. I hadn't really thought about it that way before. Yeah, because mine so quickly goes to, oh, I'm dumb. I don't deserve this. Into those really, really harsh judgments of myself. And mm. when I think back of how hard I've been on myself over the years, it makes me kind of want to cry because yeah. I haven't been loving at all. That self-saboteur is what Alex Howard calls it. It can be pushing away from others, which I've done too. If I start to feel like maybe they don't like me, I'll push away. Or it also can be saying no out of fear. Like I said about often taking on more responsibility. I don't do that because I don't want to disappoint anybody. I want people to get the best and I don't feel like I'm the best, you know, all those kinds of things. So it's interesting how that imposter syndrome can be so deep. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny with this illness too and being an achiever or perfectionist because I can definitely see how pushing myself so hard to do lists getting through everything in a day like I'd often set up so late just finishing my to-do list for a day when all my emails kind of knowing that they were all going to come back for to me tomorrow and it's just breeding more work but that was my sense of satisfaction my sense of value whereas if I hadn't done that I would have felt uneasy and I just I would just rather push myself that hard than deal with the the emotions that that brought up. But it's interesting, yeah, yeah having chronic fatigue and being a perfectionist or an achiever because you obviously want to try and work your way to healing, work your way to recovery, do all of these different things, meditation, this new supplement, a bit of yoga, whatever it is. 
and you naturally kind of compare yourself as well with other people it's like oh well they they seem to be back at work or they seem to be doing sport again Alex Howard again has a really nice quote here which is healing is less a competition and more a romance so it's less about competing with others competing with yourself getting through that to do list to get there and it's more about a romance with yourself learning to love yourself again to understand yourself again and to support yourself again as opposed to using your body as a tool driving yourself to get perfect health or whatever which yeah challenges me a lot yeah and i think as we were saying in the last segment about how because a lot of feelings of shame and guilt are what have dominated my life it can be really hard to stay in that place of romance because you're so quickly back in but maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe I don't know yeah. what the heck I'm doing and who am I to give people advice? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it really, really goes quickly back and forth and you have to constantly remind yourself. But our follow-up episode for the Harsh Inner Critic is going to be the self-love section as well as brain retraining, which we know has a lot of controversy around, but a lot of it is just about training your brain to think differently yeah identifying some patterns of thoughts you have how they may not always be and so then trying to or true catch them and construct different uh thought patterns yeah yeah should we talk about the good though about being having an in harsh inner critic yeah sure yeah yeah there's a lot on there yeah for sure definitely i know that having a harsh inner critic has driven me I've done so much in my life. I'm, I feel so proud of a lot of things I do now. And now that I can look back <laughs> at yeah, the cool. things with pride, I can look back at my 20s as really being amazing because I had very high standards. I accomplished a lot. Could be very trustworthy. That's definitely a thing with perfectionists too. People really trust the perfectionist because they will get it done. Yeah. <laughs> and also about being focused on, on others and the good in yeah. others sometimes. Yes, when you're overly yeah. focused on uh, your own faults, then you just see everyone as amazing <laughs> like I do. My friends will tell you that. All, nice all I do is talk about how amazing my friends are constantly. So <laughs> <laughs> That's a much nicer trait. I feel like I was a hyper competitive child that <laughs> wasn't necessarily the nicest to be around but um yeah similarly very proud of a lot of the things that I did when I was younger I was like an academy football player for Southampton and Crystal Palace I um it was a BBC little presenter and it was definitely supportive parents but also that inner sense of like do more do more do more like you've got to go for it be competitive so interesting because I wouldn't necessarily change that but maybe I would slightly higher emotional awareness and <laughs> understand the shadow side it's of it easier on yourself for me that's how I feel like how could I've been so hard on myself yeah. I've accomplished so many things I've been to 34 countries I've volunteered for all these organizations and done a master's degree and yeah. it's just yeah, like it's so interesting that you never stop to be happy about it All right, so it's time for my favorite part of the show, which is yeah. <laughs> listening to Stu's poem. The personality type's poem. Ooh, today's quite a good day. She's got so many spoons and so little time to spend them all. What to do with this energy hoil? She could go for a walk. 
feel the breeze on her face, see the daffodils race to reach the surface and smile under the sun's watchful eye, just taking her time to be grateful and kind. But she should probably sort out the washing first. Hoover and clean up the place. She knows the family appreciates when it's not such a mess. That'll take three spoons and one more for the dishwasher, one for the lunches and of course then there's dinner. She had said she'd help Mike with his project plan, though she's not such a fan of stats and figures, but he smiled with such vigour so it was hard to deny, as he says, she has time. And she's got so many messages she really should reply. It's already been two days and she shouldn't delay, doesn't want friends thinking she's hiding away, she knows what they'll say. And Maddie wants to FaceTime, show her the latest design. And the children are excited to bring her today's finds. They're such a joy, don't ruin the fun. It's not every day that she gets to join in. But not much time left to get outside. How many spoons is that? Oh, a foggy mind. Minus three? Now that doesn't seem right. Can she use some of tomorrow's? She still needs to ring Mike. What's that funny feeling? Tight and squeezing around his chest, sucking his breath. It must be serious. Quick Google a diagnosis. Loses hope by page six with such a dire prognosis. It had started in Sainsbury's. As he stood behind a bloke, not wearing his mask, enough said, don't ask. But he wished he had spoken because he had clearly overtaken that woman and pushed in. Met his stare with a grin as they shuffled amongst groceries, seething beside celery. But he had just meekly smiled, daggers inside. It's not the dumb thing to make a real scene, so he squashed it down and bit his tongue, getting angry has never helped anyone. He'd felt this pain in his chest before, bruised and raw, when Marie and he had had that chat. He didn't like the fact she put things on him that weren't quite how he seemed to remember them. Of course he'd agreed, nodded bemusedly, pushed his anger down deep as he felt the pain seep into his chest, startled unrest. It must be that chicken for lunch, he guessed. They set their alarm for 6am despite not fancying waking up then, but they'd seen a video about how all the best people have finished their yoga and daily meditation before the sun rises, so they thought they would try it. The alarm went off, their mind wrought on, their body said no, but all systems go. Something they could successfully tick off their list, and after 10 minutes of breath work and a little EFT, eyes straining to see the clock tick laboriously, they were already down to action four on their plan. Ain't nothing gonna stop them now. What's next to try? Be present. Hmm. Can they do that while getting ready? Does it need all their attention? Let's give it a try. Sit still, be quiet. One minute. They're fine. Two minutes. Their mind has already found its way onto today's to-do list again. Ugh, back to the present. This is pathetic. Can they say they've done it? It really isn't productive. They've heard that it's healing, but they're already feeling like there could be a better way to spend their morning. Unless they're doing it wrong. It hasn't yet paid dividends, and why aren't they feeling better yet? The girl on Instagram's working again. Back to the drawing board, try something new. They should really be further along in truth. She tends to others before sensing her needs. He'd rather be cool than embrace what he feels. If healing is a romance more than a race, they'll complete that too, with time left to waste. Wow! (laughs) That's amazing! Holy crap, that just incorporates like everything we said into one poem. (laughs) You don't even have to listen to the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's just brought up so many like memories and feelings too. Wow. Well, yeah, I hope that what we've spoken about today has has just helped you maybe point out some things that's worth considering or like some old patterns in behavior yeah and if you're like me and you love learning about this stuff Mm. you can do some tests i'm a big fan of the enneagram test 
Yeah, it's a good it one. It has nine different personality types. Yeah, it's free to do. Yeah, it's online for sure. We can yeah. post the link. And the Myers-Briggs is mm-hmm. interesting. I'm an ENFPT, I think. <laughs> and there's, I think, 16 personalities or personality 16, which gives like a name for each of the Myers-Briggs types, which is free as well. And my, maybe not my favorite one, but a really good one was Strength Finders. I think it gives you five of your key strengths so one of mine is achiever which is interesting because there's obviously the shadow side we've talked about today as well so um yeah would recommend that one as well yeah so hopefully yeah i didn't bring up too many emotions but like i said i've actually uh, learned a lot about my personality from therapy and uh, also just about how hard i was being on myself too she said uh, there should be a parade in my honor for all that i've been through and i don't think we often reflect on that so really go easy on yourself even if you do see some things that you quote unquote regret this is all just learning yeah 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 and both Lindsay and i are big fans of journaling so if there has been some stuff that's come up today would recommend carve out 10-15 minutes for yourself and just kind of journal it out paper. journal it out yeah it doesn't matter no one's going to see it except you and yeah we'll be talking self-love and brain retraining bit of emotional awareness and processing all the things that follow up on how to process these personality type issues and a little bit more on where they stem from exciting oh looking forward to it yeah get to the root (laughs) yeah so thank you so much for listening as always if you have any questions or thoughts love to hear them bye peace